In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with John McDonald about conversion rate optimization. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 46. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the show that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski, and I'm here today with John McDonald. John is the founder of The Good, a conversion rate optimization firm. I want to ask John on the show today to share some tips that he has about improving conversion rate optimization that hopefully some of you can use. So, hey, John, how are you doing today? Good. How about yourself? Doing good. I think this is a uh, super exciting topic. There's a lot we can dive into here. So I, um, I know conversion optimization, huge thing, obviously, in e-commerce, right, where um, a lot of folks driving traffic from a number of different sources and converting it the best they possibly can is really kind of like a a key driver of success. Um, so first, what do you guys do? So you're, you get, you're focused on a conversion rate optimization only at the firm? Correct, yeah. So at The Good, what we focus on is helping convert more of an e-commerce site's existing website visitors into buyers. So we don't do anything with driving traffic to the site. We focus exclusively on once somebody is at the site, increasing those metrics that are gonna really um, drive revenue for that e-commerce company. Okay. So you typically work with um, any particular e-com- type of e-commerce site, like um, like any particular platform or is it? Uh, like a- no, we're really platform agnostic. Uh, the tools that we utilize uh, are independent of, of most platforms uh, for e-commerce. Uh, really the, the metrics we look for are amount of unique visitors to a site on a monthly basis because we need enough traffic to run ab or multivariate testing on the site so uh, generally we want to see more than 10 to 12,000 unique visitors per month to a site as a bare minimum uh, before you can truly focus on ab testing how many was that again 10 to 12,000 10 to 12k a month okay and that's visitors to a homepage or visitors to like because i guess so let's back up when we're talking conversion rate is this convert is a conversion a add to cart is it a checkout is it like a sign up by newsletter like what what how we even define conversion when we say that right great question well the way that we like to define conversion rate optimization is the improving of any metric that uh, we are looking to grow uh, that would ultimately lead to additional revenue for the e-com site, right? So we're looking for more than just specifically conversion rates of an add to cart. Uh, We're looking for all different types of things. So, um, you know, really we want to make sure, A, that it's data-backed and that there's a system involved, right? So we're not looking to just change button colors or try disparate items throughout a site. We're really looking to have a full um, system and program in place uh, for increasing the percentage of website visitors that convert into customers or really more generally take any desired action on a web page. So it's not just about one individual metric. In fact, most people call conversion optimization or CRO conversion rate optimization. I kind of feel like that really pigeonholes our industry into one metric, which is conversions. But there's so many other metrics that should be tracked, right? We want to look at 
average order value. We want to look at total revenue and margins and profit on those products. Um, and in addition to, <clears throat> excuse me, engagement metrics, right? So conversion is just one outcome. Yeah, and it's one of those things too, when you say conversion, so, you know, at Spark Shipping, we have a SaaS product and a conversion for us isn't actually someone, I mean, a, a conversion could be someone actually purchasing the product, but more time than not, it's somebody talking to us, um, like a demo, that sort of thing. So in e-commerce, it could be signing up for a newsletter. And it's obviously a much more low value conversion than buying a high ticket item, but it is a conversion. Um, so I'm guessing some folks could even hire you to say, I want to increase my newsletter subscription rate. I want to get more on-site reviews. These other things that aren't exactly like monetary, but at least could be tracked, right? That's a great point, Charles. The first thing we do is uh, do a deep dive conversion audit of every customer we work with. And the idea behind that audit is we want to truly understand based on the clicks and movements that that site's consumers are taking, what influences purchase. Right. So it may be that the uh, email newsletter converts at an extremely high rate. So there's benefits to get people on that email list. Um, and then it's a matter of how do we optimize for getting more people on that email list that is really successful and drives a lot of revenue. Uh, it could be that we find that there's some hang up in the shopping cart that people don't understand something of the flow or a common one even is that brands don't talk about shipping rates until an item is in the cart. So then they see cart abandonment be very high because we find out that the shipping costs are prohibitive, right? So there's a lot of different things to be thinking about there. So, and I know you might not, because I didn't talk about this ahead of time, but I was just thinking, are there any sort of industry, like standard numbers, right? Where cart abandonment um, drop off at, um, you know, they add to cart, like different percentages that if you came to a site and you realize, oh, there's 10% of people dropping off at this point, is that a high number? Is that a low number? Because if I'm a retailer, I have a data point of one, right? I look and I see my data and I might think, oh, this many people drop off when they go to the checkout. That could, that could I don't know if it's, if I see 10%, is that extremely high, extremely low? Like how do I, as a retailer, start to understand what is like, what is wrong? What's okay? And what's actually totally normal in the industry? Yeah, that's a great question. So in short, we always, the reason we start with an audit and we want to track based on the clicks and movements of a specific brand and not the industry averages is because there is no true industry average for those metrics. Uh, now, if you, you probably could Google it and I'm sure you'll find some people state that these, you know, that average conversion rate is X, Y, or Z. The challenge is their sample size is always fairly limited. We've seen conversion rates from 0% to Amazon, if you're a Prime member, is over 74%. That's what they last reported. So the reality is that's a huge gap, right? Now, really what we want to help you do is uh, always be improving those metrics. That's really what you should uh, be trying to do as an e-com store is understand what the baseline is. And then always be looking to improve that metric over time. So use, we use monthly cycles here. On a monthly basis, we want to look for short-term gains and improvements. The best way to think about this is like a, an investment account, like a, a retirement account or a savings account. 
But really the goal here is to be looking for small incremental gains and additions every month and then have that compound over time. That's when you're really going to start to see the massive gains is after that compounding effect kicks in. Right. So, you know, you'll also read online that there's a lot of conversion optimization tips and tricks that say, hey, do this and you'll double your conversion rate overnight. The reality is that doesn't work. It's not sustainable. Really, what you want to have is a system, as I alluded to earlier, and a plan that is always looking several months out with the goal of continually improving over time. That's going to give you a really sustainable growth uh, that you're looking for. So, but how do you, I guess, so I get that you obviously, right, it doesn't really matter what the industry numbers are, it sounds like, because if you're selling, you know, um, heavy machinery versus socks, like it's a very different sales cycle, the number of people who drop off, you know, if I'm selling like an excavator, um, is very different than the number of people who drop off selling socks versus, like you said, Amazon Prime, like I'm a member, I know it's just very, it's very easy for me to buy, so obviously a very high a very nice conversion rate for them. But how do I know if I'm, so if I'm just starting off, how do I know, do I want to start at the top of the funnel? Um, or like where in the funnel should I be start starting at that point? Because I see all these percentages and I'm saying, okay, do I, do I want to look right before the checkout and, you know, um, try to optimize that point or the people actually looking at product pages or drilling down into categories? Like where would you even, where would you determine where to start in that process? Well, the first thing we always want to do is make sure that you're collecting the right data to help make those decisions and understand where those holes are. And there's really four key types of data that we always want to be looking for. Um, the first, of course, is analytics, right? It's, it seems like a baseline, but most analytics that we start looking at uh, have some issues with them. Um, so you first want to go in and make sure you have clean data in analytics. Now, a platform like Google Analytics is awesome. The challenge is it's really set up for marketing, not for optimizing conversions, right? So out of the box, uh, GA is going to tell you things like where your traffic came from to some degree, what pages they're looking at, how much time on site is spent. These metrics are great to understand if uh, your AdWords campaign is working, which let's face it, that's what Google is really looking to do with GA is help you to spend more on AdWords, right? But the idea behind this is you can alter Google Analytics to have dashboards and, and views that are more focused on helping people accomplish the tasks that they're on your site to do, which is really just research and understand if your product is a good fit for them and to buy that product as quickly and easily as possible. Yeah, it's funny. So with that in mind. I was gonna say Google Analytics is one of those tools that you install it and you're like, wow, look at all these analytics, there's so many things. But then you don't realize like, what do I do with some of these things? Like, so you said time on site. Do I want that? It, that's a great one. Do I want that number to be really high or really low? Like, do I want people to come to my site and say, oh, they spent 12 minutes on this page. That's fantastic. They must have really loved it. Or I could go the other way and say, they spent 12 minutes. They must be really confused and not know what to do. So like those, those same metrics, they show you all this data, but like, what's the meaning? Who knows? Um, and that's one of those weird things with Google Analytics. That, that's why it's only one piece of the data pie. Right. It really, you really need more to have a full context. So it's just one piece. Um, and even with Google Analytics, you need to make sure you're looking at the right data. 
in there. So there's some great data around paths people take through your site. We spend a lot of time looking at that. Uh, we understand where people are dropping off in the process. That's something you really want to be focusing on. Um, time on site is great for, as you mentioned, if it's high, really high or really low, you want to understand why that is, right? And look for the trends there. Again, we're looking for week over week, month over month trends. We, we don't want to take a uh, one day at a time and just look at that. It really needs to be trends as much as even like year over year, especially if you're a seasonal type of business. Um, so the second key piece of data that you really need to be thinking about is heat mapping. So this is all the different types of heat mapping, uh, you know, including um, click mapping, scroll mapping, how far down are, are people scrolling on every page, um, movement mapping, where are, is their mouse moving on the page, um, we also do like to do eye tracking heat mapping. Where are people looking and what are they reading on a page? Um, often the data you'll get with movement maps is gonna be fairly similar because especially on desktop, people's cursor, they, they follow the cursor with their eyes. So you can often see uh, people going back and forth on paragraphs of text with their cursor as they're using it as a pointer while they read. Um, but you know it's, it's less so on mobile. So eye tracking can really be helpful there. The idea behind heat mapping overall, though, is you really want to understand what content people are engaging with and what content they're not engaging with. So if you think about time on site and combine that with heat maps, we have a really good understanding then of what um, content people are, are utilizing and, and, and what they're not. Um, and, you know, just to put this out there, your goal should not be to keep people on your site as long as possible. Right. So if you have a singular goal of increasing your time on site, I feel like that's very misguided. Uh, we've had sites that do hundreds of millions in revenue that we work with and their time on sites like a minute. And that's actually great because people get there, they get the information, they find the right products, but then they check out quickly. Yeah, that's one of those things I've always seen in Google Linux. I've always said, what do I do with this? Do I like unless you're unless you're a candy crush and you want people to be, you know, sitting there all day playing it, it's not really like a in e-commerce, a lot of these are just useless things, right? Like you're not, you're trying to sell product. You're trying to educate the consumers, sell products. So there's a lot of things here that like time on site, great example, what's it matter? Like if you can educate someone quickly and add to cart purchase and they check out in, like you said, one minute, fantastic. But if people spend, you know, and you could have another site where it's very like, um, like a research driven site. I've seen, I've worked with folks that sell a lot of like parts and like, small pieces that you usually look into figure out like will this work with my exact setup and you're trying to figure out you know does this work with these like three different things all together you need to kind of do a lot of research before the checkout but that's their value add the these sites right. um so in those cases time on sites a great thing so it's one of those things unless you know the why you're trying to improve it it's not something you just want to say let's just do um so and the funny thing you said about heat mapping i've worked with a tool i was looking at a heat map for an e-commerce site way back when and i remember like there was this one image in the middle and everyone kept clicking on it and i realized everyone thinks that's a button like it's just it, it maybe it looked like a button apparently and i never picked up on that because if you're the person who adds the image you think it's just a image but then you realize like oh let's just add some, let's try to figure out why they're clicking on that, like what they want and let's just make that a button and that's one of those tools you easily you can do that and in the first 20 minutes you start realizing Oh, we can actually like people want something here. Let's give, let's figure out what that is, and then give that to them, instead of 
you know, just putting up a little a little wall and making them kind of wander around longer. So that's definitely a super useful tool. That's a great example, Charles, and exactly how heat maps should be used, right? What, what are people doing that is unexpected? That's really going to help you to know. Um, a, a third piece of data that you really should be looking at, I think piggybacks off that comment really well, is user testing. So user testing, uh, we do what's called remote unmoderated. What that means is that we have a bank of user testers, uh, several hundred thousand now, uh, who are trained to talk out loud about the experience they're having as they go through a site. Now, we give them tasks to do. These people are sitting at home or wherever they're comfortable. They fire up the software that we utilize. They go to a website. We're recording their screen and their audio and their webcam. The idea behind this is we get a really good understanding of why they're taking these actions. So for instance, maybe they, they're we're watching them repeatedly click on that image that isn't a button, but to them looks like a button. And they say, oh man, I'm really trying to click on this and get to the next spot. I'm frustrated because I can't click on this. I don't know what to do next. We're looking for insights like that. So combined with analytics, the, you know, Google Analytics may tell us that that image is, is increasing the time on site because they're getting frustrated and continually trying to click something that they can't click. So we'll see a high time on site. Heat maps and click maps are telling us people are clicking on that and they're not scrolling past it because they're getting stuck on that one area. And then user testing adds another layer of data there that is telling us that they're really frustrated by that and what they're trying to do and what they wish it would do. That gives us a lot of great information to work from. So uh, now we have both qualitative and quantitative data. So we have all that analytics data and also the reasoning of why people are taking the actions they're taking. And that's really important to have all of that different types of data. Is that a tool people can use that you have kind of, a, you can reference or is that something you guys have internally? Or how does that? Well, there are several different tools out there for, for user testing. Um, there's a great one uh, called What Users Do whatusersdo.com. Uh, we don't utilize that tool. Uh, there's another one called usertesting.com, uh, which we utilize quite a bit. Um, and uh, But there's several of them out there uh, that are pretty good tools uh, with varying price points. Uh, usertesting.com is one of the more expensive tools, but um, it's also one of the more robust. Uh, we love it because we're doing you know, thousands of users attest uh, a year. So there's, there's, you know, uh, quite a few um, for us. So it, it works out to be a better situation for us. But it's, it, you know, I highly recommend you find the right tool. Even if you don't utilize a tool to do this remotely, you could bring users in or say you have a retail store, for instance, uh, you could pull people out of your retail store and just say, hey, you know what, I'll give you a $50 gift card to spend if you sit down with me for 15 minutes and and work through our website. Um, and then you just observe them and take notes. Uh, that's more of a, a moderated on-site user testing approach. We find people aren't as comfortable as they would be in their home setting or whatever they want without someone looking over their shoulder, but it's still gonna give you really valuable information. Yeah, it's funny you say that the way, so this is, I'm dating myself, you know, years and years ago, but the way I yeah. would always do this and I didn't, couldn't have a large sample size was actually there was some tool and I'm forgetting the name I'd have to look it up but it could actually record the mouse movements in real time like it would show you a recording um, of the mouse moving around the screen and 
based on some some triggers, you could basically say only trigger this on, like you can't do it on every person, it would be too much. Um, so trigger it on certain criteria. And right. it was always users I would have on the phone that maybe called them with some issue. And I would try to get their recordings and then link that with the voice on the phone and basically like actually have them use the site and talk about, you know, here's what I'm doing right now. And here's what I'm, I can't find this. And here's where I'm looking. And you'd actually have a recording and you can basically kind of like line them up together and real, and you, it's essentially like you're looking over their shoulder at that point. It's a little creepy. Um, some users might be scared, you know, if you actually tell them, oh, I'm recording your mouse movements. But, you know, and a lot of times people know customer service calls are already recorded. You say it when they call. So that, you know, and if you just put them together, you can actually start to really get a sense of like, oh, here's what the person's saying. Here's what's on this screen. And they're acting, like you said, at home when they're in their normal environment. So it's a very easy way of actually understanding what people are really seeing and facing in their challenges. And it was actually yeah. one thing with that too was kind of neat is you could see based on their screen size and like their, um, like their, their view portal into the site, right? Because, you know, here at the office, I'm gonna have these two like huge dual screen monitors. I can see pretty much the entire site, but realizing, oh, there's people like not with this setup. So they're looking at just this little tiny window and they're scrolling around and this stuff way off to the right they can't find. And that was pretty eye-opening realizing like, oh, we just can't put that stuff over there. They'll never find it. Um, and that was one of those things again, until you, when people keep, they're saying, I can't find this. And you realize, oh, you can't, you need to scroll to the right. And like, this is again, before, you know, responsive design and all these things, where that was actually an issue and they just couldn't find stuff because it was where it was placed on the screen. So all those things definitely yeah. um, aren't stuff you would realize. Yeah. And, and I think you know, one of the tools that we utilize quite a bit here is called Hotjar, H-O-T-J-A-R. And it allows you to do heat mapping uh, as well as session recording like you're talking about. Um, and now it doesn't allow you to do it on an individual basis. And they the whole idea here is to prevent privacy concerns, right? So uh, there are triggers of, of yeah, th when this we is would start. This is before GDPR and all those other things. Right. So privacy, yeah. <laughs> I think 10 years ago, yeah. privacy internet was a little looser, so. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, I think for research purposes, uh, it was a much better time, but now we're still able to get stuff in, in aggregate, which is very helpful. Uh, and it's all about, you know, having the, the best quality of data possible. And, and we find Hotjar does a really great job with collecting accurate heat maps and session recordings. So there's a lot of, of great stuff there. Okay. And yeah. then you said, so that was three tools. What was uh, three um, types of data? What was the fourth? Yeah. Fourth is A-B testing. So, um, you know, thinking about taking, say you have 100 visitors to your site, uh, and having 50 of those visitors see your current page and 50 see a, you know, a test that you're running um, and doing that throughout your site. So basically now that we know, for instance, that you have a high time on site, people are clicking something that looks like them to a button. We know they're frustrated and, and they're having challenges around that because of the user testing. We can really put that into play and test out that hypothesis with A-B testing. We can try out some solutions to that. Make it a button, right? That'd be an easy one to test and see if that helps people get to the next spot more quickly. Or uh, we'll track metrics like um, did they click that image or whatever it was to, to get through? 
And then did they add something to cart and move forward or did they bounce back to the page they were on before? Um, you know, so we're looking for more than just add to carts. And this is one of the things we talked about earlier, right? It's what other metrics might we want to be looking at? And it's, um, you know, just focusing on add to cart here would be a disservice. Uh, we're really looking to improve the overall user experience and, and user interface of the site. And A-B testing gives us a lot of ways to mathematically and statistically prove out all of the hypotheses that we've put together. Um, from the other sets of data that we've got. How much of your time is actually spent on the A-B testing? And I just asked because I feel like in conversion rate optimization, so you mentioned these four points, obviously all four are important, but everyone just wants to A-B test. Like that's like, I feel like from the outside, everyone just wants to like change the button from green to blue and say, oh, we got like a 10% better conversion. And that's like, people think that's the holy grail of um, conversion rate optimization. Like how much research are you doing ahead of time to actually set up a test and how much of this is testing and how much is actually figuring out what to test? Yeah. So, you know, I've mentioned this a few times, but a system for conversion optimization, right? It's really important as opposed to just testing random discrete objects on your site, like changing a button color without really truly having a hypothesis around it that's based in data. Uh, so when you're thinking about this, uh, we actually at The Good, we offer what's called our conversion growth program. And this is an ongoing month-to-month -month engagement, uh, the first time of which is a full conversion audit. Now, in that audit, we're going to go through and set up all that data points that I talked about just now. We want to make sure you have clean data, right? That's extremely important. That you have great baselines to work from. So you make sure you know that you have the right data points in play and you know exactly what those metrics are so that you can measure improvement correctly from there. Um, so... You know, we're doing all of that user testing as well, collecting all of that data, forming all of that, and it takes about a month to do all of that correctly. So the first month of working with us is all data-based, and it's all helping us set up our hypotheses. We then put together a full testing plan and roadmap where we're thinking six months out with our testing. So it's not just about one discrete test, it's truly about tests that are building upon each other over time. So as we learn something, we want to deploy that and continue the growth and learning, right? Again, it's thinking about it in an iterative fashion where we're growing uh, a little bit every month and making small improvements that are compounding over time. That's really where you're going to see the biggest gains, uh, not just in testing those discrete items. So we spend a whole month collecting data and setting things up to be uh, tracking appropriately before we do any A-B testing. Uh, then in the second month, uh, we start doing A-B testing and we do uh, a small amount of tests per month from there on a monthly cycle. Uh, but you know, even during those months we're doing A-B testing, we're still tracking that data. We're still running heat maps to see if those tests are proving out to and be uh, improving an optimization of, of what we're hoping to do. Uh, and then occasionally we'll come in maybe once a quarter and do additional user testing uh, to, to see if overall any additional changes are, are happening. I think the key thing here, Charles, um, is that, you know, the Internet's always changing. E-commerce is always changing. Your site's always changing. The mix of products, your marketing. There's so many varying factors that you could be A-B testing, you know, from, into infinity, Right. 
But it's really about having that plan of, of what you're looking to affect and what you're looking to change and then having a program put together around that. Yeah, I feel like that's what people get hung up at the beginning, right? Where, you know, folks read all this, kind of everyone's talking about, okay, get the get data, collect it all. Like, and I think a lot of people can do, can grasp that, right? They need good data. But then when it actually comes to that first saying, that first time saying, what should we test? Like, what's, what is step one? Like, and if you're doing this professionally, right, you've seen a lot of sites, you have kind of some patterns to like some pattern recognition, right? Where you understand, yeah. oh, okay, like this, this checkout, you know, I feel like we could do better here and you got to get some intuition, but let's say I'm sitting at home listening and you know, you have your one e-commerce site, your data set of one, and you're saying, okay, I have all this data, but like, how what do I test? Like, what do I, you know, cause you don't want to start randomly changing the color of buttons. We kind of know at this point that's useless. So, you know, there's something to test, but you don't know exactly where to start with that. What would you kind of recommend in that case? Yeah, in that case, I would look at uh, where people are getting hung up the most, right? So if we're talking about the heat maps and we say, hey, you know, people aren't seeing what we think is key content, or we often really want to start with where people are dropping off in the process. So I talked a little bit about how Google Analytics has a great view that kind of shows you the paths people are taking through your site and where they're exiting. we want to understand why they're exiting at those places and, and what they're not finding or what turned them away, why they desert. Um, there's, you know, coming in with an inquisitive mind like that and, le- you know, uh, leaving the options open about what's wrong is going to be really key to this. I often like to say that it's really hard to read the label from inside the jar, right? So as a, as a store uh, e-commerce manager or store owner, do you have uh, a unique view in the sense that you know everything about the site? You know every corner of that site. You know where to go. You intuitively are just going to click on the right things. But if you send a fresh, new-to-file customer to your site, they're never going to have that context that you do. And that's great. You want that because you want the, the, um, the, the clear view of what it looks like to a new visitor and the challenges that they may have. So... That's why it's crucial to do user testing and, and base all of these hypotheses on data um, from what people are doing on your site, not just saying, hey, I think if I change this button color, it's going to be uh, you know, uh, an improvement. Um, it really needs to be based on, on the data. And so that's why we always start with data first. And that's where I would recommend people go. So let's say I'm trying to break it down in like a very simple way of looking at this, right? Where mm-hmm. Let's just say the checkout process is um, seven steps, right? Where you go from homepage to search to actually like putting a card, the whole thing to adding a credit card to, you know, end process. But would you just start trying to look at that and say, what's the percentage drop off at each one of these points? And if there's any one of them that just feels abnormally high, you know, if every, every time there's 5% dropping off, you feel okay. But at some point, all of a sudden, if you see a 35% drop off at, you know, the um, select your shipping uh, type, mm-hmm. you know, and for some reason you realize like, oh, there's a list of 3,000 of them. Maybe we should make it four, something like that. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just look down that path and when you start failing, that percentage feels a little too high right there. That's where you start drilling into the data of saying, what, you know, these are all five, 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 each time it just drops down five, but this one right here drops down 35. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into that. Let's look at the heat maps. Let's 
do the user testing, and that's where we're going to focus our efforts. Is that kind of a plan of attack? Yeah, that would be a great approach. And this is really where trend lines are going to come in, right? So looking at the the longer term trends to understand maybe uh, is there a number that continually has been a problem, right, over the past year, right? Uh, is it something that month over month it's continued to get worse? Or, is, you know, because um, a lot of brands will use just holiday shopping for their numbers and they try to optimize in January based on what happened over holiday. Well, the problem is you have people coming to your site who are primed to purchase at that point. They're looking to, to get gifts and they're not going to be as discerning as they would be for themselves, perhaps. So they're, you're going to see metrics change during that time. So if you just focus on optimization based on a very limited data set uh, and time frame, especially for seasonality and when that comes into play, you're doing yourself a disservice. And so it's really important to be thinking about um, what you just mentioned, but but also using that data as a trend, right? And looking at different time frames to make, to make the decision there. I see, okay, so understand yeah, there's certain times of the year where people are more um, ready to purchase. Is also, is, does it depend on, I'm assuming the answer is yes, but do you also look at the data based on source as well, right? Because easy example, Google product listing ads. If you type in, you know, buy red toaster into Google, it shows you an ad right at the top for a red toaster. It's $39 and you click here to buy it. And it's like, a, <laughs> like you know, it's like all queued up, ready to go. And you know that person that clicks on that, they want to buy a red toaster and that's they're not looking at how to fix a toaster they're not looking at anything else there's someone who just kind of is randomly you know searching around for red toasters you don't really know what they're actually looking for who knows maybe just pictures if they want for a, a project or something do you differentiate by source as well because i would assume like a product listing ad versus you know organic mm -hmm. traffic are two very different things and different mindsets and those trend lines must be extraordinarily different they certainly can be. And we do want to focus on, on those different sources uh, of traffic because it is going to matter uh, a lot. Uh, as you said, the, the trend line can be very different. Now, the, the best way to look at that, though, is, is start with a large set of data, look overall, and then narrow it down more from there. So start looking at all of your traffic source, see if that time on site in one page is a lot higher, the drop off is a lot higher, whatever the metric is that you're seeing stand out, then you can dive in a little more from there over time. Yeah, and it's nice too having those baseline numbers just in your head, right? And kind of understanding a, like a bounce rate, for example. Um, mm -hmm. This is, again, I'm dating myself on a lot of these e-commerce stories, but we used to run, um, <laughs> So we tried for a while back, stumble upon. I don't know if people even remember that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah okay. I <laughs> yeah, okay. I date myself if, as well here. If you're a little older, it was this, or if you're younger and you don't know what that is, um, and I don't know why any of us did this, but it was this little thing you installed in your bookmark bar and you clicked a button, it just took you to a site. And then if you liked the site, you would you know look around, but pretty much 99% of the time, you don't really like the site that much and you would just hit it again and you'd go to the next site. And it just constantly you stumbled upon sites. And they came up with stumble upon advertising. So you could actually pay a very small amount of money and get massive traffic to the site, which at the time, you know, I thought, oh, this is really cool. Let's drive some people to the site. But then when you start looking at the arrogant number, you know, two months later, you look at the bounce rate, you're like the bounce rate has gone through the roof. Like it's so bad. 
And then if you actually stop breaking them all per channel, you realize, oh, these people and stuff, like the bounce rates actually, for everything but StumbleUpon is completely the same. But that StumbleUpon traffic was just like skewing that data so, it, it was just so non-consistent with the standard data. Um, but when you looked at an aggregate, you could at least see that like trend line change very drastically. That month we started running the traffic, it just moved and we knew, okay, let's, what happened in that month? And then we're able to trace it back. Oh, it's StumbleUpon. I think it is, but let's just, let's double check. So then we broke it out per channel and said, yep, <laughs> that's that traffic all just leaves the site immediately in the first click. Um, so we didn't run those ads very long, but. Yeah, well, and I mean, that's why partly probably why StumbleUpon is not, not as much of a thing anymore, but yeah. I would say. <laughs> and that's why no one's using yeah. StumbleUpon anymore, yes. <laughs> well, but I, I, but that's a great microcosm. It's a great case study for why trend lines matter. And why breaking it out by source matters. And if you could say, hey, we started, you know, one of the big things we see a lot of companies not doing that they really should be doing is annotating in Google Analytics. Mm, it's yep. really simple. In the free version you can annotate. Just go in and say, we launched an AdWords campaign this week and mark the time in there that you did it. Mark the time that you ended it. And um, the more annotations you have, the more you're going to remember in a year from now when you have a traffic spike and you're trying to compare year over year and you say, oh, well, we had a traffic spike this year, but we didn't have the same one last year. I wonder what changed. You know, nobody's going to remember what campaign you ran a year ago, most likely. Um, so it's really helpful to go in and annotate. That's something that, that we encourage our clients to do uh, as often and as much as possible. Yeah. There's, uh, you can never have uh, too much data around things like that. Well, in the part there is a lot of those are lagging indicators, right? Where um, I've you know I've seen us change um, some sort of like title tag or something like that before, and it doesn't changing like a, a word in a title tag, just flipping it from you know whatever, whatever some sort of change of terminology, right? It's not going to affect you today. It's not like you're going to change it and all of a sudden you're going to see users you know go up or go down. It doesn't really do anything today. But in two months, when Google starts to re-index those pages, they, you know, the whole like search graph kind of changes over time, you'll start to see that trend line, like you said, and trying to remember back saying, what did I do two months ago? And if you're changing the stuff often, you know, if this is like your main title tag and you change it once every four years, you might actually remember. But if you change these things at any regular frequency, you're not gonna remember. There's like no chance. So unless you have that data to look back on and realize like, Oh, I see this going up or maybe down. What happened two months ago? Because it's not what happened that day. It's what happened for the past two months now. You need to remember, <laughs> you need to have everything. So, and you're going to change that and you don't know what um, metric it's going to move, right? It could be the amount of traffic coming in, but it could also be, like you said, time on site. And like different things are going to change and you don't know what at that time. So you don't know what to look for. So you need to do this kind of... Um, you know, post-mortem months later, we made a change, we ran it for two months. We didn't actually know what it was changing, but oh, wow, look. So it's like this uh, unplanned A-B test, basically, right? Yeah, that's very true. Um, and, and again, you're you're making decisions based on data, which is which is what the game is. Yeah, okay, so for A-B test, do you have any tools you could recommend? There are several different tools out there. Um, one that we're really excited about right now is Google Optimize. Uh, it's Google came out with their own A-B testing tool set that is really well done. 
Um, and they have um, a tool that integrates really well with analytics, of course. Um, the second that we utilize quite often is called VWO, Visual Website Optimizer. Um, it's a great, you know, they, they've recently changed to be an all-inclusive conversion optimization platform, but we use their A-B testing tool set and that's pretty much it. Uh, we found their heat maps aren't aren't as good as hot jars or some other tools that are out there, things of that sort, but they're, they're working on it and they're coming a long way. Um, but it's a great platform. Uh, if you're a larger site, you have a lot more visitors, more revenue. Optimizely is uh, kind of the king of the marketplace. Uh, they are more enterprise focused. In fact, they're not really focusing on uh, SMBs at this point. They're really heavily focused on uh, landing the, the enterprise type clients. Uh, with millions of visitors a month, but um, it is the most robust tool set. Uh, and but those three are really the three that we see utilized the most. There are other players out there, of course, uh, but the best value because it's free is Google Optimize. Uh, then VWO after that, a couple hundred dollars a month probably, and then Optimizely, which is several thousand a month. So it really varies on your budget and needs uh, from there. The vast majority could get away with Optimizely. I'm sorry, with Google Optimize. Um, and then uh, about 70% of our clients use VWL. Yeah, it seems like one of the, this is one of these industries where there's no suite that does everything, right? There's nothing, there's no like analytics, AB, like everything package. It's one of those things you're going to find different, like you said, you have four different um, pieces of data to track. Um, and you're going to almost have four different tools, maybe three, but let's just say four. All like best in breed of that type of um, data. Is that usually what you're using? Yes, that's 100% accurate. We have yet to find one tool that can do everything. And uh, outside of that, I, I don't know if I'd want one tool to do everything. And the reasoning is, is that we want to cross check those that data. Yep. We want, um, you know, if we're running two sets of heat maps, we want to look at both sets and see what's the difference here. Um, even with A-B testing, uh, there are different mathematical formulas for determining winners uh, of a test. So we actually use the raw data and put it through our own processes to run it against different models. Um, and the reason we do that is to have more of an independent view on what, what wins and what doesn't. But all three of those platforms that I mentioned for A-B testing all have a different mathematical formula for what they consider a, a winning test, a winning test variant. Yeah, that's a good point because and those are also that's complex data, right? If you even just go with basic tools of page views, they never line yep. up like ever. Um, <laughs> I've never opened I, yeah, and I've never opened two tools and seen the same number of page uh, visits in the same date range, which is bizarre ever. Because you would think that's like the easiest metric, but everyone has a different opinion on it. Well, this is why it's extremely important to have a one source of truth. Right. So define what you uh, want to use as your source of truth and then base your metrics off of that. So a lot of people will make Google Analytics their source of truth for those type of things. But no, unless you're paying for Analytics 360, it's not catching every view. Um, and instead, what it's trying to do is model out what it believes is the number of traffic. Um, so it's doing a sample size every so often and then giving you um, giving you what it thinks is is the traffic levels most people take it as full truth and that's not accurate yep yeah it's a very good point so before i let you go and i'd like to ask folks this if people want to learn more just kind of in general do you have any 
books, blogs, podcasts, anything that you kind of recommend? Um, hey, you know, I'm just learning about conversion rate optimization. How do I dive more into this? What would be a good place for them to check out? Well, I might be a little biased, but we produce uh, educational content up on our site. It's free. Uh, it's not a sales pitch in any way. Uh, and it's all about conversion optimization, uh, really in-depth articles uh, that we have about 100,000 people or so subscribed to our weekly email list where we send that content out each week. Uh, and so that's a great place to start. Uh, the tool sets that we've talked about today all have wonderful blogs where they dive really deep into this type of stuff. Um, so highly recommend checking out the, the blogs for the different tool sets. Um, and then, you know, as conversion optimization is becoming more and more of a, um, a standard that people you know are using and becoming familiar with. Uh, there's been some great content out there that you know the the team at Google on, on the Optimize team have put out some really great content that is that is uh, trustworthy and doesn't really lead you um, to uh, land of false hope, if you will. I think you know if anything, I would caution against the articles that, that are out there that say you know do this one thing and you'll double your conversions overnight. Unfortunately, that just doesn't exist. Um, and it really is an iterative, longer term process. So um, I would highly recommend keeping that in mind. All right. Thank you. I think that's a great place to leave it, actually. So if people want to learn more, um, I'll also link some show notes. Where can everyone find you? What's the best place to reach you? Yeah, uh, thegood.com. So T H E G O O D dot com uh, is the best place to, to reach. Uh, if you want to contact me directly, have any specific questions, anything of that sort, feel free to email me. It's John J O N at the good.com. Uh, I read every email that comes in, try to make time to respond. Um, so feel free to, to contact me directly. Um, but you can find all of that great content I mentioned at the good.com. Just, uh, click on insights or sign up for the uh, email newsletter uh, and uh, check it out. All right, John, thank you very much. That was uh, super helpful. I think okay. definitely some people, um, it's one of those hot topics. So I think it's gonna help a lot of folks. So thank you very much for coming on. It's great chatting with you. Great, well, same here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.